All right, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up to Luke chapter 9. If you, if you want to use the Bible in the seat in front of you, you should find Luke chapter 9 on around page 732, 733, somewhere around there. Luke chapter 9. Do you remember in Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, when Luke had gone to the swamp planet of Dagobah to get trained to be a Jedi Knight from Yoda, the Jedi Master? And of course, of course. And after Luke had been there a while through the force, he starts having visions of Princess Leia and his other friends and they're in danger. And, and he feels he needs to go and save them. Uh, but Yoda is adamant that Luke stay and complete his training first. Uh, Yoda says Luke isn't ready. He hasn't had enough training yet to succeed. So the apprentice is eager to strike out on mission, but the mentor is encouraging him to wait because he isn't prepared enough yet. I think often in the Christian life, it's just the opposite. We think as Jesus' apprentices, as Jesus' disciples, that we're not ready yet. We have so much more to learn. We have so much growing to do. We're, we're not ready to go out and serve God, to, to step out, to have a ministry of our own. After all, who are we to do God's work? We're not that spiritual. We're not that talented. We don't know enough yet. And we wouldn't want to mess things up on God. And yet, could it be that our mentor, Jesus, is pushing us out into mission like a mother bird trying to kick her fledglings out of the nest because she knows that the only way that we're going to learn to fly is to start flying? Well, that's what we see Jesus doing with his first 12 disciples in today's story. Back in chapter 6 of Luke, Jesus had chosen these 12 guys to be his sent ones, his apostles. Since then, he's been teaching them God's word. He's been taking them along on various mission trips that he's gone on. He's been modeling for them how to love people, how to minister to people, how it's God's heart to accept outcasts and welcome sinners who want to come home to God. They've seen Jesus perform miracles. They've seen him heal people. Most recently, as we've seen the last few weeks, they have seen Jesus exert great divine power, calming the raging seas, casting out demons, even raising the dead. The 12 apostles have been with Jesus observing all this, but they haven't played much of an active role, have they? We haven't heard much about them. They've been in the background. They've been passively watching, tagging along. But now, all of a sudden, in today's story, Jesus sends them out. He sends them to do what he's been doing. To heal the sick, to cast out demons, to proclaim the good news about God's kingdom. Ready or not, the master is kicking the apprentices out of the nest. Are you surprised that Jesus is sending them out so soon? I mean, we just saw when they were in the boat in the big storm how little faith they have. And Jesus hasn't even told them yet what we were singing about this morning, lead me to the cross. He hasn't even told them yet that he's going to die on a cross and that that's how God is making his grace and forgiveness available. And we don't know yet um, if the apostles are sure who Jesus even is. All that ironically begins to become clear to the apostles right after they get back from this mission. 
But yet here Jesus is before they know clearly who he is, before they understand about the cross, and he's sending them out to preach the gospel. Why so soon? And why send them out at all? I mean, Jesus can do it better. Jesus is doing it perfectly. Why mess it up by getting these guys involved? Or at least, why not say like Leota did to Luke, no, stay and get further training. You're not ready yet. And let's take some time to think about the difficulty of the mission that Jesus is sending these apprentices out to face. First, he's, he's calling them into a situation of vulnerability. He's sending them out empty-handed with only the shirts on their backs. They're not to bring an extra shirt or change of clothes along. They aren't to bring a staff which might offer them some protection against wild animals or roadside bandits they might meet along the way. They aren't to bring any food or any money. And if anyone were to give them money or food along the way, they can't save any of it for the next day because he won't let them bring a bag and they didn't have any pockets back then. They are dependent on God literally day by day, meal by meal. Jesus sends them out empty-handed. They're utterly vulnerable. Why does Jesus put them in this position? Well, a few reasons, I think. First of all, Nothing teaches you to trust God like having to trust God. <laughs> have you ever noticed that? It's very tempting not to trust God if you don't have to. But there's nothing that builds your faith like having to trust God and then seeing God come through. Now, later in Luke's gospel, when Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure and for their mission without him, he'll tell them in Luke 22, 33, Six. Now, this time, bring money, bring a bag with you. And so empty-handed vulnerability it, that, that Jesus is calling his disciples to here isn't a permanent, eternal command for all of God's people. Aren't you glad? <laughs> but don't think it's irrelevant either. Don't write it off. Because it teaches us that an important part of our training as apprentices of Jesus is learning to be vulnerable and to trust God for what we need. And so there's a good chance that at some point in your life, if it hasn't already happened yet, that God will put you in a situation where, or ask you to step into a situation where you can't count on a secure income. And God expects you to trust him. My wife and Anne and I have had this experience several times in our life already, like when we sensed God calling us to move across the country and we didn't have any jobs lined up on the other end. Um, and also when we went overseas and we had to raise financial support. We were dependent on, on the donations of others, and if that money didn't come in, we didn't eat. And, and so we prayed and we trusted God and we saw God provide, sometimes in extraordinary ways in those situations. And those experiences built our faith. And this must have been true for the apostles too. Later in the story at the Last Supper, Jesus asks them to reflect back on, on this time when he sent them out empty-handed in vulnerability. And he asks, did you lack anything? And they say, no, nothing. They had seen God provide and it no doubt built their faith. Because you see, it takes more than sermons. It takes more than reading your Bible to grow in faith. 
It takes living it out. Finding yourself in situations where you have to trust God and then seeing how God comes through. The second reason that Jesus calls his disciples to go out in vulnerability is that they are representing Jesus and Jesus is representing God. And how does God come to us in Jesus? Well, he comes to us with empty hands. He comes to us in weakness and in vulnerability. And so his representatives are to come this way too. Now there's a paradox in Jesus, and that is that on the one hand, he's a great provider. He feeds the crowd of 5,000. We'll look at that next week. He provides wine at a wedding. And yet on the other hand, he has nowhere to lay his head. And he has no funds of his own. And so as we saw back in Luke 8, he depends on several women followers for financial support. You know, often we as Christians fall into the trap of thinking that, that we have a responsibility to be the providers and the saviors of others. After all, Jesus has commanded us to, to give to the poor, to feed the hungry, to, to care for the needy and for the hurting. And yet, we also have to recognize that Jesus sent his representatives out penniless at times. And I think that's important because a couple hundred years of, of overseas missions from the West should have made it abundantly obvious to us Western Christians that when we always come in Jesus' name with wealth, as the great saviors who, who come with all the answers and whom others can depend on, it creates really unhealthy dependencies. After all, if, if we're the haves footing the bill and, and providing our expertise to the have-nots, then we're going to wind up calling all the shots and treating the have-nots paternalistically too often. And we're going to wind up feeling, or they're going to wind up feeling, inferior to us and helpless and worthless, like they have little to offer God. And so we have to do it all. And, and then we wonder why they don't ever grow up and learn to govern and lead themselves and support themselves. But Jesus didn't come to us as the powerful one, did he? No, he came as a servant and, and he let people serve him. And in the process, he gave them dignity and he raised them up and empowered them to grow up and to reach out to others. And in today's text, we see he's empowering his disciples. He's sending them out. But they're to go in the same spirit that he came in. Sure, they have good news to share. And, and they can offer God's blessings and healing and, and liberation to those in need. But yet, they're also in a position where they're in need. Where they're vulnerable. And people are going to have a chance to welcome them and serve them as well. That's God's way. Not only coming to us with provision and blessing, but also humbling himself to come to us in weakness and vulnerability. And, and that's the way we can, or, or rather, that's the way that we're to represent him as well. I, I saw this up close when my dad was dying um, of cancer. He, he was a man who, who served others. One time he literally gave the coat off his back to someone who didn't have a coat. And he touched many people through his hard work, his sacrificial serving and, and ministering to them. But when he was flat on his back, he couldn't do any of that. He had nothing to offer anymore. And, and it was really humbling for him. He really struggled with it. But it was also a blessing to the, the many people who wanted a chance and wanted the dignity to serve him. 
And, and it was amazing to watch as people that he'd ministered to over the years now came in droves to his bedside, some of them from hundreds of miles away, to offer him encouragement, to, to pray for him, to express their love and, and gratitude, and, and then to witness how he died with courage and with faith. And I sometimes wonder if he did as much to point people to God in his weakness as he had ever done in his strength. God often comes to us in weakness. And so Jesus sends his followers out to represent him in weakness, in vulnerability. A hard lesson for us Westerners, I know. (laughs) A third reason that Jesus sends his followers out this way is that it forces people in the towns that they'll visit to to really decide if they're going to side with Jesus' message or not. You see, since the disciples uh, are coming without resources, in that culture, which prizes hospitality, someone is going to have to offer them hospitality and take them in. And if that person did, they would be viewed in their town as supporting and harboring these preachers. And so if you were open to the message of these disciples and... uh, you, you were resonating with what they had to say. You, you couldn't sit on the fence because these guys needed a place to stay. And, and either you were going to take them in and, and cast in your lot with them fully, or you were going to reject them and leave them out in the street. So there are uh, three reasons that first, Jesus sent his disciples, his apostles out vulnerably without a penny in their pockets. But it's still surprising that he sends them out so soon. Because second, he also sends them out with the possibility of facing rejection. There's a very good chance, Jesus says, that some towns may not welcome you. In that case, Jesus says, don't press the issue, but rather move on and just shake the dust off your feet. And shaking the dust off your feet in that culture, was something Jews did when they returned home from a trip to Gentile lands. Because for a good Jew, you you didn't even want to to track the defiling Gentile dust into your holy land. You viewed your own land as holy, and so you would shake off that unclean dust when you reached the edge of your homeland. And so Jesus is saying to his apostles, who at this point he's sending out to various Jewish towns, he's saying, If a town rejects you, testify against them by treating them like an unclean Gentile town. Shake the dust off your feet. Because as Jesus says elsewhere, anyone who rejects you rejects me. And anyone who rejects me rejects God who sent me. If they reject you, they're rejecting God. They're opting out of what God is doing. They're withdrawing their membership, in effect, from God's people. And so treat them like a Gentile town. Shake the dust off your feet. Heavy stuff. Amazing that Jesus sends out these undertrained, somewhat clueless, vulnerable apostles to represent God to such an extent that to reject them is to turn your back on God. Jesus is placing a lot of trust in his disciples, don't you think? In fact, in a way, he has more faith in them than they have in him. (laughs) It's amazing that this is how God chooses to approach people. 
not with mighty thunderclouds or heavenly regalia, but through ordinary people like the apostles and like you and like me. Amazing that Jesus should send people like us out before we're ready. Well, not only does Jesus send his apostles out in vulnerability and and to face possible rejection, but third, he also sends them out to face hostility and danger. I'll ask again, are they ready for this? Why does he send them out so soon? We see the danger in verse 7 when Luke brings King Herod back into the story. Here we find out for the first time what finally happened to John the Baptist, that faithful prophet who'd prepared the way for Jesus. Because last time we heard from John, he was languishing in a dungeon and he was wondering whether Jesus was really the one God had sent to be the Redeemer. Because after all, John hadn't, or Jesus hadn't come to rescue him. And Luke says now, oh, by the way, John the Baptist, uh, Herod lopped his head off. How's that? for the way his mission ended. And so now as a result of Jesus' apostles going out and spreading and multiplying the works of Jesus, Jesus is coming up on Herod's radar too. Talk about ominous. This is a storm cloud on the horizon of trouble that's coming and, and Jesus sends his apostles out and though they may not know it yet, they are going to face hostility and danger the danger they face becomes more clear in chapter 9 when Jesus predicts, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected, and he must be killed. And whoever wants to be my disciple must themselves take up their cross daily and follow me. That's what the apostles have to look forward to. Jesus, as he says elsewhere, is sending them out like sheep among wolves, vulnerable, bound to face rejection, hostility, and danger. That's how he sends them out because they are to represent God and that's the way God chooses to come to us. You can be assured the apostles are not ready for this challenge. So why does Jesus send them out so soon? Fourth, he also sends them out with power. Not with power to save their own skins. Not with power to force others to accept Jesus' way. But rather with power to free the captives, to cleanse the impure, to heal the unwell. Just about everything Jesus did, he's now calling his apostles to begin doing. And by the time we get to the book of Acts, the apostles are doing it all. They're even raising the dead. And not just the apostles, but other believers are doing these things too. And so if you read the whole story in Luke and then into Acts, which is the second book that Luke wrote, you see that, that um, the sending that we're reading about today is just a first wave of three sendings. First, Jesus sends the 12 apostles. Then, as we'll see in the very next chapter, he sends 72 others. And then after Jesus' resurrection and into the book of Acts, we see the whole church going, sent by Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so our passage this morning isn't something we can write off and say, oh, it only pertained to the first 12 apostles, or oh, it's only for the spiritual elite. No, why are there 12 apostles and not 7 or 10? Well, there are 12 because they represent the new people of God. Remember, in the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes. 
And so as Jesus begins to form the renewed people of God around himself, not around their King Herod, but around himself, it makes sense that he begins with 12. And a chapter later, this is expanding and we see 72 others going out to do the same stuff. And then after his resurrection, Jesus sends his whole church on his mission. And so what begins here with 12 turns out in the New Testament to be normal Christianity. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus is to be sent. It's to be sent by God, to represent God, to carry forth God's mission. No, we aren't always going to go town to town with no money and no bag and no change of clothes. But going in vulnerability is a part of the calling and, and part of the training. And so we should expect that along the way, we and others will find ourselves in situations like this. And no, we may not all be gifted to heal the sick and to cast out demons, but maybe it should seem odd to us if this is never happening in our churches. Maybe that's a matter for prayer to ask God about. And no, we may not all be gifted to be evangelists, eloquently proclaiming the good news, but offering the invitation of salvation is kind of what this Jesus thing is about. God sent Jesus to affect our salvation, and then he sent the church to let people know about it. As the Apostle Paul said later in Romans 10, how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone telling them? Aren't you glad someone told you? <laughs> the good news about Jesus reached you. Jesus sent his people and they went. They went to you. And now it's your turn, it's my turn to take the good news to others. And so the mission is not ours, it's God's. It's Jesus' mission, but we have been called by them into it. Mike Breen, the guy who uses lots of shapes like circles and squares and triangles to help us remember and share with others spiritual lessons about Jesus, he has a, another shape, another triangle. This one reminds us of what Jesus has sent his followers to do. His first followers, the apostles, the 72 after them, and then all Jesus' followers. He sent us to share Jesus' words. He's also sent us to do Jesus' works, whether it's powerful works of healing and casting out demons, or as we'll see next week, compassionate works of feeding the hungry, caring for people's needs. And how has Jesus sent us out to do all this? Well, to do it in Jesus' way. Um, and what is Jesus' way? Well, it's not just to share words without practical works. And it's not just to do works without words to explain and interpret what they mean. It's also not to come in privilege and power, but rather in weakness and vulnerability, depending on God, not only serving people, but also allowing them to serve us as well. And because Jesus' apostles went out and did Jesus' words and Jesus' works in Jesus' way, perhaps that's why when Herod hears about all this, he doesn't ask who these apostles are, but he's concerned to know who this Jesus is. It must have been clear from the way the apostles were carrying out their mission that this was a Jesus thing. Because it's about him, not us, right? <laughs> People should be able to look at us and the way we do things, the way we conduct ourselves, and they should be able to recognize the Jesus that they read about in the Gospels. 
What a serious, daunting responsibility. So why did Jesus, the master, send his apprentices out before they were ready? I guess he knew they were ready. Ready enough. More ready than they thought they were. And chances are we're ready too. I had a friend in college who was um, interested in learning more about Jesus. And um, as we talked to her about Jesus, she got so excited about Jesus that she started sharing Jesus with her friends before she'd even accepted Jesus herself. (laughs) Was she ready? (laughs) I recently read some stories about the amazing growth of the church in China. And and you know there are teenage girls right now in China starting dozens of house churches in China. Are they ready? Well, maybe it's not so much about how ready we are. Maybe it's about how ready Jesus is to use us and about how much um, he will be with us and how powerful his words and his spirit are. I'll close with this. Um, This past week, I've been reading a, a book called You Are God's Plan A and There Is No Plan B. It's by a guy named uh, Dwight Robertson, and uh, I know I just recommended um, Godspace to to Craig, and you probably all want to read that. But this is another amazing book, which I think, I don't recommend a lot of books, but uh, I think it really captures, I know, my heart for where we go as a church. Uh, It's got lots of inspiring stories. Anyway, it's full of stories about how ordinary people, ready or not, recognized that God wanted to use them right where they were in their everyday lives. Um, on the trains they commuted on, in, in their schools, in their workplaces, in their homes, and in their neighborhoods. One story Robertson tells is about a time he got a leak in his roof, and um, he went through the yellow pages, and he, he you know, how do you pick a, a roofer? Um, so he just, you know, he picked someone out of the yellow pages and, and held his nose and called the person. He's got his fingers crossed. And he talked to this roofer on the phone named James, who was very polite and professional. And so he's feeling better about this. And, and the guy shows up right on time, um, but he's got this rugged-looking appearance, complete with ponytail. And it's not what the author had, had pictured from the phone conversation. Well, James the roofer gets up on the roof, and he checks around, and he comes down, and he gives a very reasonable quote. Uh, and he says he can do it right away. It's only going to take a couple of hours. So Robertson hires him right there to do it. Well, about an hour later, there's a knock on the door, and uh, Robertson cringes. He thinks, "Uh uh-oh, it's way too short for him to be done. (laughs) Um, He's probably going to say that the damage was much worse than expected, and it's going to cost a whole much more money than what he quoted me. But instead, he opens the door, and James says, all done. And he hands Robertson the bill, and it's a lot less than what he quoted. And uh, the roofer explains that since it went more quickly than he'd anticipated, he's only charging him for the time it actually took to complete the job. And while Robertson is happily writing the check, James the roofer takes another call on his cell phone from another potential customer. And he, he talks with the same professionalism and courtesy that Robertson has experienced. And so when he's done, Robertson compliments him. He says, you know, don't ever hire an answering service. You really do a great job interacting with your customers on the phone. You have a, a, a way of gaining people's confidence. And uh, then something unexpected happened, Robertson writes. James humbly looked at the ground for a moment, and then he looked me straight in the eye, and he said, thank you for your kind words, but t- 
to be honest, I haven't always been good with people. What do you mean? Well, I made some pretty bad choices when I was younger. About 13 years ago, though, God caught my attention and I began a personal relationship with him. My life really changed after that and I'm a really different person than I was back then. And as he shared some of the changes that had transpired in his life, he occasionally looked down and shook his head, still amazed at the work God had done in his life. And he said, my desire is, is to serve God every day by, by uh, serving my customers with kindness and respect. I treat every roofing job as a daily assignment from God. And Robertson says he spoke so openly about God that I, I glanced around to see if, if something had given him a clue that I was also a Christian, maybe an open bi- Bible lying within view. But, but there was nothing to tip him off. And so I said, James, brother, hey, I'm a Christian too. And uh, James' face lit up, and you'll have to read the rest of the story for yourself. <laughs> but, but that was James's mission. Ready or not, James had figured out that God had sent him to be his representative, to, do Jesus, to share Jesus' words, to do Jesus' works, to do it in Jesus' way right there where he was every day. So ready or not, are you ready? Because Jesus is sending us out, ordinary people as well.